Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and I'd like to welcome the host, Ian Cron. Ian, how are you doing? I am remarkably well. Hey, we were just in uh, Dallas. Let's talk about that. Well, that was a great 24 hours, wasn't it? It was, yeah. You and I, my son Aiden, we went out to Dallas so that I could do a live podcast with The Minimalist. Yeah, man. Our friends Josh and Ryan. Um, Love those guys. I do too. What a fun night. It was. We were at the Improv Yep. in Dallas, Texas. Yep. From a couple hundred people. Uh, and they interviewed me for yeah. about 45 minutes. Yeah. And we just had a, I mean, this the room was buzzy and it was a really, really fun night. And It really was, yeah. It was really the first stop on, an early stop on a tour for my new book. Come on, let's talk about it. Hold let's it up. <laughs> right, so this is, by the way, the uncorrected proof. It's right. in soft cover because it's a galley. Called a galley. And um, this goes out to, you know, major publications for reviews and uh, different people that we hope will dig it and talk about it. But so it will be in hardcover and much fancier. However, yes, the story of you, an Enneagram journey to becoming your true self. It drops on December 28th, but you can pre-order it now yes. on Amazon, which I encourage people to do. Yep. I am so pumped for people to get their hands on this book and to start this new chapter of conversations. And you can go to ianmorgancron.com slash the story of you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, can you give just a little primer on what it's about? Because I'm pumped about this, by the way. I mean, I've, I've actually been able to read the book. I'm super excited about it. So so I here's a premise for you. Yeah. You know, um, I think all of us live in stories, mm-hmm. right? All of us has a narrative or a story we tell ourselves about who we are. Right. And who we tell others who we think we are, mm-hmm. right? We really acquire this story as a little person. Yeah. Right? And... That story actually comes to define us, Mm -hmm. and it actually, in many ways, shapes our personality. Right. Right? We act out of it sometimes knowingly and many times unknowingly. Yes. Now, the problem is, Mm -hmm. in this broken world, is that many of us end up in broken stories. Right. And those broken stories may have helped us as little kids to understand what was happening to us, Mm -hmm. but it's so sad. Some people bring early childhood broken mistaken stories about who they are Mm. what their value is about what the world is like into adulthood right they never get rewritten right right? they never get edited right they just drag them with into adulthood and they're they're trapped in in the wrong narrative it Mm. it distorts their it makes them unhappy it distorts their personality it 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 i've seen people stuck in bad stories Mm. That has ruined their lives. Right. Yep. It's ruined their lives. Yeah. And so what I'm excited about is when I get to tell a person, you know, you don't have to stay in that old story. Right. It's broken. Yeah. Right. You can, you have the freedom to rewrite the narrative of your life. Now, it's so exciting. To now, me. now, here's the kicker. Yeah. I think that the nine Enneagram types Yes, they are personality types. Mm-hmm. And I would say that they're nine stories mm. that that people acquire as little people, right? Mm-hmm. And live in without any sort of knowledge uh, that some of it 
is not going to work for you. And now, so what argument would you say? Because I know you have one to people that say only nine stories. Yeah. So, you know, in literary criticism, it's interesting. Yeah. There's a very thick book. It must be 1,300 pages. It's Uh called The Seven Basic Plots. I mean, in literature and film, critics, right? I mean, literary critics, highly educated people, many of them would say there's only seven basic plots in all of literature. Yeah. Right? Every book you've ever read, every movie you've ever watched. Yeah. yeah. There are tragedies, there are comedies, there are romantic comedies, right? There's right. drama, whatever it is. Yeah. And you know, by the way, when you watch a romantic comedy, you know how it's going to roll. <laughs> That's right. It doesn't stop you from watching it. <laughs> That's right. Right? You, yeah. you know that, that different stories have different runs. Yeah. And so, you know, th- it's not a surprise that maybe there are nine stories, but let me put it how I would say it would be this way. Yeah. These nine stories appear so often in the human population that we should pay attention to them. That's good. I don't know if they're the only nine stories. All I know is that you see them so often that we should, Mm. you know, take them seriously. And, And so, look, I'm not saying that your personality type is wrong. What I'm saying is, is that pretty much everybody lives in a broken story. The Enneagram can help you find out what that story is and how you can rewrite it. And the cool thing is this book helps illuminate the broken story that you're in. Yes. And how to rewrite your story. Yes. I love it. I love it. Yes. And so, you know, I, uh, we have a little model in the book. It's called SOAR. Mm -hmm. And I know some people hate acronyms. I hate acronyms, but here's the deal. I've learned from 12 step recovery that acronyms can save your life. Okay. Like we have one in 12 step halt, right? Right. Don't get hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Uh Uh-huh. Right. I just, you know, that's a great little reminder to me. So sore is C. Mm -hmm. And to see is to kind of look back at your story. Mm -hmm. Like, where did it come from? What would I name it? Right. What what is the old story? Like, see it. Right. Right. And then the second is own it. And and what that is, is just own what it's done to you. Mm. Right. Just see the cost of the story. And then the next one is awaken. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And awaken is like, man. You know, um, again, it's it it involves the cost. It's 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 just beginning to have your eyes opened to yep. these new possibilities. Rewrite is when you can say, "All right, how do I unwind those parts of my story that are dragging me down?" Mm-hmm. Right, that are dragging me down. And um, I love what Mo Willems, the author, says that that I love this. He says, "If you find yourself living in the wrong story, leave." leave. <laughs> You know, That's so good. And uh, anyway, I'm I'm so excited for people to get their hands on the book and and yeah. learn about. Yeah. Man, I could live in a new story, and that's the exciting thing is when you tell people that they look at you a little sideways and they go, "Wait a minute, you mean I'm that's not right. like fated yeah. or destined yeah. to live in this old story? That's like right. I just thought, what can I do about it? Nothing. It's just how how things happened. It's like what got done to me. Yeah. It's like yeah, no. Right. Right. That's right. You, you you have the right if you if you've been playing the victim or the martyr your whole life, you know you can recast yourself as the hero of that Come story. On. I love that. Well, so uh again we want to remind people to go to ianmorgancron.com forward slash the story of you. That's right, hold it up there, take a look at it for those of you on video. Um, And we have some more exciting things about the book that we're going to be rolling out in the weeks to come. But let's get to today's show. Man, we've got a fun guest today. John Acuff, New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including his most recent Wall Street Journal number one bestseller, Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. 
He is an INC Magazine Top 100 Leadership Speaker, spoken to FedEx, Nissan, Microsoft, Chick-fil-A, Nokia. His latest book, Soundtracks, which he released in April, is already a bestseller. And we're talking about that today. John is a seven. And Ian asked the question when he first came into the studio, what have you been thinking today? What kind of thoughts have you been thinking? And it will blow you away. He gives real interesting insight into the mind of the seven. So he's quite an authority on soundtracks of the mind and overthinking. He actually says, overthinking is when what you think gets in the way of what you want. It's an epidemic of inaction and a tsunami of stuckness. The good news is there are simple counterintuitive ways to turn all of that overthinking into action and reclaim time, creativity, and productivity to create the life you want. So this is a great interview. We get into all kinds of stuff. I know you're going to love this one, and I know you're going to love John. Really thrilled to have him in the studio with us today. So without any further ado, here is our guest, John Acuff, and your host, Ian Crum. John Acuff, Enneagram 7, welcome to Typology. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Man, I'm looking forward to it too, man. We haven't had a chance to spend much time together, and, and uh, but we run into each other periodically. Totally. Different conferences pre-covid coffee and, shops uh, all coffee shops all of them you got a brand new book soundtracks the surprising solution to overthinking yeah love the name i love it man oh and, thanks yeah and and here's the thing this is a perfect conversation for typology and talking about sevens good good because you all know about overthinking we do some of it we I, definitely do some of I, it. i want to know something yeah if i got inside your head uh-huh and I was listening to your stream of thought. Yeah. What would it be like? I mean, today it'd be like, man, he has cool dogs. It's nice <laughs> to meet his dogs. Like, I wonder if they're related. Do those dogs know any tricks? Do those dogs know other dogs in this neighborhood? Are there other cool dogs? Or is, just, is this it? Is this a cat neighborhood? I bet somebody on the street owns a ferret. I got a ferret vibe from some of these houses. Um, not like a ton of ferrets, but enough, like one ferret is enough ferrets. Um, when it comes to fair, like things like that, or like, how did I park? Could I have parked better? Was that, I should have parked closer, but I, I have a park at the first spot you see as if it's the last spot that will ever exist. And since I'm by myself, I was like, I'm going to do the walk and then I can get more steps in and then I can compete with my daughter in the step challenge for the week. Cause she's doing cross country. So yeah, it would be like that. That would be, that's a snippet. I'm wow. exhausted. Wow. Right. <laughs> I know. Amazing. Sevens, man. You are Five, sixes, and sevens. All of you are in the thinking triad. Mm. Oftentimes, you know, sevens will, um, they can be really affectionate. Yeah. Right? That opti- all that optimism and that stuff mm. can, and so you'll think, ah, oh, man, how can they be in that thinking triad? But y'all are thinkers, man. Yeah. I, would, I mean, the regular triad sounds cooler because you get Japanese tattoos and stuff, but I feel like, <laughs> you know, the thinking triad, I don't know if we, do Ian we fight just, the Yakuza? Ian, Ian just raised his forearm and, yeah. and showed, showed his, us his, his tattoo. tattoo. Yeah. Is that new or old? Oh, it's, it's years old, okay. a couple of years old. It looks pretty new. No, it's about, I don't know, three, four years old yeah. or something yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. Just goes to show, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't drunk. Yeah. You know. It was, it, every listener right now is like, I wonder what, it's it's barbed wire around his arm. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, think Panama City Beach, but slightly not as classy. Think think six margaritas in yeah, Panama Beach. This is why he speaks in long sleeves. A lot of people don't get to see those, so those Ian arms, as they call them. Yeah, right. Well, that's also because in the corporate world, I'm always wearing long sleeves, you know, that's when I do hilarious. corporate gigs. Yeah, and sure. it's like... 
it's 300 degrees in the room. Oh, yeah. Why is he wearing a long sleeve <laughs> yeah, shirt? Everyone's in golf shirts. Yeah. I wear sport coats because then I don't have to iron the shirt. Like, oh. I don't, that's one of the, to me, it's one of the hardest parts of public speaking is wrinkles. And so, like, when I show up at a hotel and I'm like, oh, man. And it just, there's no way to fold a shirt where it doesn't look like it was an accordion. Right. Um, so now I just wear, like, sport coats over it and a complicated pattern because that, that'll hide wrinkles. But sometimes I'll show and up at events. it looks great on a jumbotron. It looks, looks like you're electric. It looks great on a jumbotron, but I'll show up. At, I've had this five times happen. Show up at the event, and I'm wearing the shirt they have in the photo. So there's a photo of me before I speak. And it looks like this poor kid, he's just out here trying to earn a second shirt. He's just out here tap dancing for nickels, trying to get himself someday, dare to dream, a whole second shirt just for me. But it's the only shirt you ever had custom made. And that's exactly. why you wear it every exactly. single time, right? Yeah. All right, let's get back to the book here, number seven on the Enneagram. We've now gone off into about 16 different tangents, all of which I enjoyed enormously. Sure, sure. But I really do want to talk uh, about this book. And in part because I've been, I've been doing a lot of thinking about thinking, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, you know, as a therapist, I'm, you know, I'm always trying to help uh, myself and, and other people make sense of or, or realize that their mind is out of its mind, mm -hmm. right? It, yeah. It just is, mm -hmm. right? We have 50 to 80,000 discrete thoughts every single day. Mm -hmm. that's just you know according to you know science you know it's yeah. like well that's about and most of them are repetitive mm -hmm. uh, and most of them have a negative bias yeah the phrase i use in the book is fear comes free hope takes work hmm. you never have to go out and try to find a negative thought like it'll find you yes. mm -hmm. you, you know one of the things that came up in the research is that in the english language there's not a good opposite for the word trauma um, where you say this is a word that means overwhelming joy that hits you out of nowhere and stays with you for years and years and years and years and years. And so that, you know, I your brain will pick up stuff and remind you of stuff you did wrong five years ago. I mean, mm -hmm. mine the other day reminded me of a, a birthday party that I had ruined because I ruined the surprise. And mm. my brain was like, hey, remember 20 years ago yes. when you worked with Tara and you ruined her husband's surprise party? Let's think about that while we're shopping for groceries. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, that's not helpful. And you know, those, as you were just saying, you know, that those thoughts then dictate the moodscape, right? Mm -hmm. How we feel, right, in the moment, which then determines how we act. Yep which then reinforces how we think, mm -hmm. right? And then we just get into these unvirtuous cycles, right? Not good. Well, and then your brain, I mean, with cognitive bias starts to say, I'll go find examples of this thing you already feel. Right. So somebody the other mm -hmm. day told me, I was talking to them about soundtracks and said, I think one of my broken soundtracks is I've been saying, I'm old, I'm old, I'm old. And I've started to notice, wow, I forgot that. Or wow, I'm slower. And I said, yeah, you've just given your brain an assignment. Right. The more wow. you say I'm old, it starts to go, let's believe that. Let's really believe that. Right. All with cognitive bias, find proof of that because the brain likes to believe what the brain already believes and it just kind of spirals. Right. Wow. Absolutely, That's man. Good. It is good. And I, I think that, I do think that one of the major tasks for people in our contemporary world is decluttering the mind. We had the minimalists on recently. Oh, and fun. I, yeah, yeah. And I, I got to talk about it. I said, you know, one of the places people need to practice minimalism is in their dang heads. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right? It's just too much mm -hmm. thinking. Thinking is overrated. Yeah. In a well, lot of I ways. mean, the thing I've been telling people is 
We asked the PhD, this guy, Mike Peasley, who helps me with research, we asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking. 99.5% of people said yes. I mean, we got survey responses where people would go, I couldn't finish the survey. It had five or six questions. Right. And that was before 2020. 2020 was catnip for overthinking because wow. everything is a thing now. So like the other day, I, I met somebody and they went to shake my hand and I thought, should I refuse? Should I fist bump? Should I twist at the waist and give them an elbow instead? Should I shake their hand and then immediately put my whole arm into a vat of hand sanitizer as if to say, excuse me, while I wash off this deadly pandemic, you just tried to murder me and my grandparents with. Then I started looking around the room. Are there people shaking? What does that say about us politically? Like, do you know what I thought two years ago when somebody shook my hand? Nothing. I just shook their hand. But now everybody, even if they weren't an overthinker before, hmm. has now have extra layers of thought on every single social interaction because of the last two years we've just experienced right so what do we do john well there's a number of things we can do i mean it i think one thing is starting with understanding you can choose your thoughts i would think i would argue most people don't understand they have that power or that permission they think a thought is something that shows up on its own um, it's something i have not something to hone even my most type a my eights if my you know or my ones whatever are like detailed and they lay out their clothes the night before they go to the gym they don't pick out their thoughts before a big meeting. I rarely meet somebody who goes, you know, I got the big mm. meeting on Thursday and I had a similar meeting go poorly and I know I picked up some broken soundtracks from that. I don't want those playing in this and ruining it because I got this soundtrack that they're trying to take advantage of me. I don't want that to spoil the business deal. So here's the three soundtracks I'm going to listen to internally when I'm in this meeting. We just let thoughts show up. So I think the first thing is recognizing you have the ability to choose your thoughts. You have the permission to do that. And then once you understand that, it opens up all these really practical tips and tools you can use. Okay. Do you have, in the language of soundtracks, and we all have mental soundtracks, sure. for sure, um, top 10 hits? Well, I mean, top 10 hits, one would be, um, who am I to do that? Like, you know, who am I to raise a kid? Who am I to write a book? Who am I to start a business? Who am I to have a podcast? Who am I to think I could move to Nashville and chase a dream? So who am I to do that? Another one would be, um, I'm too old. That's kind of in the family right. of, I miss right. my moment, um, which, is, which is interesting. I always say that um, fear can be schizophrenic. It'll tell you you're too young, and then it'll tell you you're too old. And you mm. go, when was I the right age? Right. Like, there was no 10-minute window when I was 32 that fear was like, this is it, you're the right age. Right. So either I'm too young or I'm too old um, is another one. Um, th those are kind of some popular stressful ones mm -hmm. where you go, okay, I can hear this again and again and again. Um, but th that sense of being unqualified um, or another one would be, I'll make a decision when I have all the information, but we haven't lived in an all information world in a hundred years. Mm -hmm. You have to make decisions with enough information and you get to choose that. So you see a lot of people get stuck going, as soon as I know this, this, and this, then, mm -hmm. um, then I'll make those decisions. But those are some that I run into in various forms over and over and over again. And the language might change a little bit. Um, another one would be, you're just lucky. That was one that um, I had a podcast I was on and during the middle of the podcast, the, the host got quiet and I said, what? And he said, well, I just realized I have a broken soundtrack. And I said, what? And he said, well, I've been the number one podcast in my category for the last nine months. And what I've been telling myself over and over is you're just lucky, you're just lucky, you're just lucky. He said, if a friend came over and they had worked really hard for nine months on something, I'd never say you're just lucky. So if I wouldn't say it to them, why am I saying it to me? Hmm. And so again, it's that sense of inadequacy. Um, you know, you, we we did a study. I've got thousands of handwritten 
soundtracks from teenagers because I spoke at these big camps and I'd ask them to write down what they were listening to. And a lot of them would say, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. And so that sense of enough. And so, and, and there are some positive ones, but by and like most people, like thoughts don't go healthy on their own. Like you have to steer them and guide them there. In the same way that I've never met somebody who accidentally got in shape where they're like, I was, I was binge watching Netflix. I just looked up, I was doing burpees. I don't even remember doing the burpees. Like you have to, if you want your mind to think good things, because the book, there's a couple things it talks about. One, um, your brain misremembers. Malcolm Gladwell's mm-hmm. done amazing podcast on that. Your brain isn't accurate. Um, it has cognitive well, bias. Well, that's with Peter Jennings, right? Was that the podcast? No, it was it was uh, Brian Williams. Brian who Williams thought he right. was on a helicopter yes. that got attacked yes. by a grenade, yes. and, you and go, he defended him. He defended, yeah. yeah and he it was said, awesome. "No, your brain." And so there's all these studies where people would write down where they were on 9/11, and four years later would say the exact opposite, and they'd right. go, "This is your handwriting." And they go, I don't know why I lied back then, but now I know it's this. So that's part of it is going, I think one of the mistakes people make is believing that if they have a thought, it must be true Mm -hmm. Um, and being willing to go, wait a second. So I teach Mm. in the book, I teach three questions that I think they're, I call them Trojan horse questions um, because they're simple. Like the words aren't special, but when you ask them, there's truth inside. The one, the first is, is it true? Is the thing I'm believing about myself, about this situation, whatever true. Second question is, is it helpful? When I think it, does it move me forward or pull me back? Because some thoughts are true, but they're not helpful. I talked to a manager of a company who said he got fired 12 years ago. And in that moment, he started to listen to this broken soundtrack that said, you could be fired again. And then that mutated into, if I see a door close on a meeting I'm not invited to, I might be about to be fired. So let's say he has, you know, one of those situations a day. He's definitely invited to more meetings, you know, not invited to meetings, but that's 10 minutes a day you know, five days a week, it's 50 minutes, you know, a week over a 12 year period. That's 62, eight hour work days. So is it true? He could be fired. Totally. Anybody could be fired. Is it helpful to think that it's not third question? Is it kind? Um, would, if I said it to a friend, would they still want to be my friend? And when you ask those questions, you'll be shocked how many of your thoughts aren't true, aren't helpful, aren't kind. And that's why I talk about what does it look like to retire that thought? Mm. So there's a, did you read the untethered soul? So in it, uh, the the author talks about this idea that uh, if you were to put your mind into a body outside of yourself and Mm -hmm. you let that person walk next to you and they talk to you the way that Uh, you talk to yourself. You would first of all think that person's crazy. Yeah, they're a monster. They're a monster monster. and they're crazy because they're all over the map. And a lot of, again, the, the cognitive, the negative cognitive bias is running, you know, and you would just be like, I've got to get away from this person. I need to change the locks. Like that person has keys to my house. I need to change the locks. Absolutely. Okay. So you're an Enneagram seven. Yeah. The unconscious motivation of the seven is Mm. a need to uh, avoid distressing psychological and emotional states, right? Or thoughts. Totally. Or situations. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and their strategy for it, right, is mm-hmm. through living very future-oriented, mm-hmm. right? Lots of trouble staying in the present moment. Yeah. Super hard, more than any other type. Mm-hmm. Uh, by entertaining uh, escapades and adventures in their mind, planning them, thinking mm-hmm. about them, overthinking yeah. about a world of unlimited possibilities, all in service to avoiding pain, right? Yeah. Pain. I agree with that. 
Is that your, is that? Yeah, I mean, I think like for me, it's like the most minor of inconveniences. So I always joke with friends if they say, let's go to this new restaurant, I go, what, uh, what's, what's the parking lot? Like, is it, is it street parking? Is it uh, like one of those hipster restaurants that has 50 tables and four parking spaces? Like, is it? <laughs> I was in one of those last night yeah, in Nashville. Yeah, it drives They're you nuts. They're all in these Nashville. Yeah, yeah. And so like I start and, and they'll go, well, do you want to hear what kind of food it is? I'm like, I don't No, 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 no. Just, is it a valet? Like what, what do we got going? And it's, I want to avoid the thought of the pain of, I don't know what to do in the moment. Hmm. Um, I mean, but even on a Saturday, my wife, it drives are nuts if I go, hey, what are we doing today? What are we doing today? What are we doing today? And she'll go, we're doing it. Like, we're in it right now. Like, I'm reading a book. You're listening to a podcast. Like, that's what we're doing. I'll go, but what, what are we doing next? What are we doing next? Right. And so, yeah, I have to catch myself because that's me trying to prepare for the future. I look at it as like, if I do enough or have it under control, then I'll avoid the, neg- the pain, whatever the perceived pain is of that moment. Right. So... We've just talked generically about, you know, top 10 Mm -hmm. hits that people tend to. And I identify with a bunch of them. And as a four, I can talk about mine in a moment. Mm -hmm. But for you personally, top five hits. Well, I mean, one. uh, So a negative one would be saying, like, come on, come on. Like, just at random moments when I'm in between projects, like, come on, let's go, let's go. And it's not in a positive, like, you can do it. It's like, come on, get your act together. Um, I think that's one. I was surprised during the research and writing the book how many of my sentences ended with the punctuation, you idiot. Like when I really kind of stepped into my thoughts, I was like, wait a second, that's like, where's that coming from? What is that? So that that was a surprise for me of how many of my kind of soundtracks had a negative negative tinge. Um, I would say another one would be, all right, just a little more, just a little more. I Mm. talked to a, uh, a friend of ours the other day and I said, you know, if I, if I want to get 10 things done and I actually accomplish 12, the soundtrack I hear is, well, then it could have been 15. So I don't get to celebrate, wow, I moved, I like 10 was the goal, but I did 12. It goes, I mean, if you could do 12, then 15. So that, that idea of like, uh, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Um, I would say that, you know, that's, a, that's another one. And then this sense of like, did I make the most of the opportunity? Was there like, was there something else I could have done? Like it was good, but is there a different thing I could have done? Did I, did I maximize the opportunity? Those mm. are some that I, I think that I listen to. Is that an expression of going to the low side of one? It could be, or it could be a three. Mm. And that's something we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I, that's mm-hmm. the only reason I said it, right? Yeah. Was because we, before we started recording, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm a seven. Everyone said I'm a seven, but boy, sometimes I think I'm a three. I've had a number of people go, I think you're, a, you're really a three and you are, you, you know, present as a seven, but you're a three. Um, so that's why I was curious. Well, here's where they can get confused. Yeah. One is they're both optimistic. Okay. They're both very future oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the main difference between a three and a seven? Well, a three is more focused typically than a seven is. Okay. Uh, a three will not take as many risks as a seven will. I don't take a lot of risks. Okay. They're calculated risk takers because threes are much more afraid of failure than a seven is. Mm-hmm. Right? So the unconscious motivation of the, of the three is a need to succeed, mm-hmm. to appear successful, and to avoid failure at all costs. Huh. Yeah, see, that feels that feels like something that I, I don't like. For me, like when I look at the risks we've taken, I haven't seen them that way because I've known, okay, here's the here's the contingency plans. Here's right. the, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know I have a hard time doing 
Instagram stories or YouTube because it's recorded where I can riff. I can like, but if it's going to, if I'm going to look That's embarrassed so and like, I like, I lock up, like people go, Oh, just do a quick video about, and I go, no. so I'm writing a script. I'm going to do this thing. Um, so, That's me. Yeah. But mm -hmm. for a whole different reason, yeah. Yeah. right? Yep. I, if I'm just riffing and talking, yeah, I always tell people like someone, we're doing a, uh, what was it? A, um, God, I don't know, some project that management put before us the other day. And I was like, please let it be interview style. Yeah. Please. Because if you put me on a teleprompter. Oh, yeah. It has to be on a teleprompter yeah. because otherwise I freak out. No, when somebody said, well, and part of it is my, my job is public speaking. So I get to go to all these companies and it's really fun. But my style, my presentation style, it feels natural and warm and funny. And so you could see it and go, oh, he just kind of does that. Where like they don't know I prepare, prepare. like a maniac. Yeah. Like even if it's a speech I've done before, I do a dry run and I'm writing down with Sharp like, oh, that's a different idea. That's like it's all prepared. And yeah. so when somebody goes, hey, just do some cool riffs on Instagram stories, I'm like, I'm going to try it 10 times get frustrated and then be like, I'll write a tweet because that's writing and I can, I know how to write. Right. And all right. So let's just go back to the three thing for yeah. a second. Um, I think that that threes also tied to one as does seven, but threes have a real perfectionist side mm -hmm. for a different reason. Right. They want things to be excellent. Right. They, they, and they also want to present well. Yeah. So, you know, get it right. Well, the threes, will threes try things they know they can't win? No. Okay. It's hard for them. Yeah. Like, like I have an aversion a, to risk. Well, I wouldn't say they're, they're, I wouldn't say they have an aversion. I'd say that they have, they're very measured and calculated about risk. So uh, a seven makes a great entrepreneur. Threes tend to make great CEOs, right? The, because that seven energy of entrepreneur, you got to be really open to risk. Yeah. And be like, well, it might work. It might not, but let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? No, yeah. And the three is much more deliberate, right? It's like, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to take a risk, but we're going to do this, this, that, and this, and, and mitigate the possibility of failure, Yeah. right? Because I don't want to fail. Uh, or like I have a three friend of mine. Um, I won't tell you who it is because we, we share this, this person. It's Garth Brooks. No, it's it? it Garth Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> But he, he said, you know, he said that he took up golf and then, you know, he went in, he like took lessons three days a week because all the clients did, you know, yeah. and he wanted to play golf with them. Yeah. And then he realized after about three months, four months of three lessons a week that he was never going to be an awesome golfer. So he just gave it up. I uh, hired a table tennis coach. Like I did that <laughs> here in Nashville. Wow. It's difficult in Nashville. We don't have a good table tennis community, I discovered. But my wife was like, you're a workaholic and you need a hobby. And I was like, I've always loved ping pong. So not, I didn't just buy a table. I went to the Team USA certified website, right. looked up the two coaches, found one, asked them both to coach me. One said he'd evaluate me. And right. then like a couple of weeks later, I'm in some random house in Antioch while an elderly man from mainland China throws ten, uh, ping pong balls at me and yells, kill, kill, kill. And I was like, and my wife eventually goes, <laughs> I asked you to get a hobby because you're a workaholic and you found a way to turn table tennis into a workaholic activity. Kill, like, kill, kill. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a big bucket of like, and he wasn't telling me I should kill it. He was telling me if you hit that weak stuff back to me, I would have killed it. So he was telling I would have killed that shot. Wow. I bought a carbon fiber handle paddle with a carry case because I'm not a chump. Like I went 
all the way in. Like, That's hilarious. And the, yeah, and so I, so when you say your friend, I like at least golf. You know, like people take lessons. Like right. the list of people you know who have hired a table tennis coach is probably one John Acuff long at this point. <laughs> I did that by yes. the way with cornhole. <laughs> You didn't hire cornhole coach. Oh yeah, I, I like got... what you went to a frat house. Like that's where you hire. <laughs> that's where you hire. That's where you hire a cornhole coach. I did. You know they had those like professionals on ESPN yeah, now. They'll professionalize anything. Oh yeah, yeah I relapsed. Yeah, I got myself real drunk because oh, that's yeah. the only way you can win a cornhole. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta be loose. You gotta be loose. Yeah, you gotta be deep loose. You gotta be eating like guacamole. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Distracted, yelling at oh. your wife, Rhonda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throwing it. up in the bushes. You gotta do the whole thing. Yeah, right. Well, you know, there is a three-ish, real three-ish quality to you, Yeah. right? And you have a lot of three-ish language thrown around. You know, it's amazing. As I was listening to you to self-describe how many times you were talking about doing, Mm -hmm. done. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like just all about the doing, right? Um, All right, so we'll we'll keep entertaining this idea that possibly a three is in the room. I know I'm not a nine. But, I mean, just because you're funny – by the way, just because you're funny and an optimistic person, it's a stereotype that you would be a seven. Yeah, yeah. But that's not a type. But then when they get to really know me, I think they're like, oh, that like you, I have a lot of control issues. Like I want things a certain way. Like, yes. you know, like, and so I, I, yeah, it's the whole thing's fascinating to me. I know I'm not a nine. Um, I know I'm not, I'm not an eight, but like seven and three is tricky to me. And both of those are driven personalities but for different reasons yes yeah yeah well and and sevens are you how distractible are you very very distractible but like when i lock in i set a timer and i'm like okay i gotta write for the next 60 minutes i'm pretty like okay i gotta stay on this but it's not easy how productivity minded are you very do you read books on productivity oh yeah constantly i brought one with me in case i got here early in the, so the, you'd have in the something car right now. you could work on. Yeah, because I'm trying to read 10 pages of a success book every day um, in the month of August as part of a test. And so, of yeah. a success book. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's three-ish. I think, we're, I think we're zeroing in on it. <laughs> yeah. Is your wife in the Enneagram? No. I mean, she's a five. But she would say, she would say like, I, I don't know what she would say I am. Um, but she's, a, she's an investigator. Okay. Yeah. Totally. Y'all are different. Yeah, very different. Yeah. Okay. So when I say that succeeding is important, when you were a younger man, mm-hmm. how much of your self-esteem was derived from being a success? I w- uh, not a lot, but it took me a long time to kind of figure some stuff out. Like my 20s were just kind of a mess. Like mm. I was kind of a knucklehead until like mid-30s. Um, so it really was, and now I feel like I'm like, oh, this, like I'm starting to see the dials. I want to turn them as often and as fast as possible because I look at my 20s and I go, oh man, like I could have done more with my 20s. Or, you know, I, like in college, my wife and I talk about that because we both went to the same college, Stanford University in Birmingham. And she'll go, oh, my senior year was amazing because I only had to take X amount of classes. And I go, oh, mine was really difficult because I never planned a schedule. Like I was the dude walking to a 6 a.m. step aerobics class because I missed the registration for like the classes a junior should be able to take because they're a junior. And so I just kind of look at my like my high school, my uh, or my college, my 20s, like I didn't do much. And now I almost feel like I'm trying to do even more because I look back at that and go, I didn't accomplish the stuff I want to accomplish. And now here you are, an accomplished writer, podcaster, know, right? and speaker, and yeah. 
all that table stuff. Table tennis. Table tennis. Aficionado. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I don't even think about it like that. When somebody, when somebody's like, you've written seven books, I don't really even think about it like that. I don't, somebody asked me, am I good at celebrating? And I was like, no, like I'm already on to the next thing. Like I, like I barely, um, so that's something I think about. Threes and sevens do the same thing for different reasons. So I can see where the confusion is here. Right. And they're both assertive types. Yeah. Whenever you want something, you just go and get it. Yeah. You know, uh, or you take it. Yeah. One or the other. If, sure. if, uh, if there's an obstacle in front. Yeah. You know, God, God bless it. You yeah. know, because it's either going to get run over or run around. Yeah. Right. One or the other. Um, so when you think about your personality, mm-hmm. would you say it's characterized more by gluttony, meaning, cause you had a phrase earlier, just a little more. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, if a little is good, more must be better. Mm-hmm. Right. Where you're just kind of like, like you can't find enough pleasurable experiences, interesting, fascinating experiences to jam into one minute. It's like you're always trying to shove them into every single minute. Yeah. Or is it more like a little bit like, and this could be hard because you're you're a a public speaker. You know, is it a little bit more like your your passion, if you will, is more about deceit, meaning. Uh, wanting to present yourself to other people in such a way all the time that you want to win their admiration and you want them to be impressed by you and, and, and say, oh, my gosh, this guy is the he's the best. I mean, he's like, yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. I mean, I, I can be pretty compulsive on like if one book is good, five book like getting five books on this topic is good or if you know if running x amount of miles is good running you know like i have to be deliberate to not overrun and get hurt you know um that kind of thing so i can definitely be compulsive and i I think there was a time when the 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 admiration um like i i want i i've moved past the time where i can surprise people where when I was in my late 20s, like if I went and spoke at Catalyst that nobody had ever heard of me and it was a breakout and like 50 people came, it was like, wow, I've never, you know, like, but now that's my expectation. Like if I get, if Microsoft hires me to go talk to their Xbox team about performance, like I need to crush it. There's nobody that should go, oh, that was really good. Like they have that expectation. So I'm kind of like, okay, I don't look for the surprise of that anymore. Um, but my wife and I always joke that like one of my soundtracks or narratives is like you're in the football stadium and the quarterback gets hurt and the coach goes, is there anybody here that knows how to throw a football? And you go, I do. And you walk down from the crowd and you win the game on a, you know, 99 yard Hail Mary. Like that idea of like um, you're, you're one moment away from like this massive thing um, is, is kind of one of the narratives that I have to push back on so that I don't get frustrated with, okay, this thing takes time. Like books take time. Um, you know, building a business takes time. And so, okay, what is, what does that time look like? And how do I give myself to it versus going, I want it all to happen right now. Um, mm-hmm. I want it all immediately. Um, right now. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, that's, I mean, that's one of my narratives. Definitely. Mm. You were a knucklehead in your twenties. Oh yeah. What does that mean? To me? I don't understand that. Um, well, like, in college, um, freshman year, I got, I got a 2.4 the first semester 
and was gonna because I had a Massachusetts sized chip on my shoulder. I, you know, was this Massachusetts guy came down to college in Alabama. I was, I was about like, to ah. say, how did you get from? That's a different story, but yeah. keep going. Yeah, and so then like they tell me you're gonna lose your scholarships if you don't have a 3.0. So I build kind of like the perfect version of myself at Christmas, and I come back and I crush it. I get a 4.0. Like people are like, you're like a different person. And I'm like a machine. Now I crash in the summer because I've white knuckled the whole semester. And I don't repeat it the third semester. Like I go right back to, and I told that story forever about like, oh, look, I was able to turn it around. And then I realized like maybe about two years ago, like I don't like the character in that story. Like I don't like the person. I was telling my daughter that story. And I was like, ugh, because it's also the dumbest, hardest way to get a 3.0 to have a 2.4 and then need perfection on the back end. And so that's what I mean is like potential was there, but I would go, you know, I would date somebody who was into raves and I'd be going to raves, you know, junior year. And like that, nobody does super well at life when they're actively going to like warehouse raves until 5 a.m. You know, like that's not a path. Um, so I mean like stuff like that. And then I met my wife, um, but I really didn't know my career or, or what I could do. I was a copywriter at Bose and Staples and um, Home Depot, but it really wasn't until I started blogging and going, wait a second, I think I have some ideas to share. And if I pour myself into them, like some fun stuff can happen. And so that's what I mean. I never felt like I had a path. I always felt like I was, anytime people would kind of go, hey, and this probably gets to a deeper question, hey, there's something really good that we could build with you at this company, I'd jump to another company. And then I'd mm. wow them, and they'd be like, this is amazing. And I'd get bored of that, and I'd jump to another one. So I, I was a huge job jumper. Um, that any, like, I'd stay, and I, I remember after about six months, I'd start to every morning in the shower go, if I stay nine months, will that look better on a resume? If I stay 13 months, I can say more than a year. Like, I was ready, and then... So Did you get bored? Is that... Bored... Um, I just, I, you know, I had kind of the, I feel like when you're young, you have all the confidence and none of the experience. And then when you hit your 40s, sometimes I see the flip, you have a ton of experience, but less confidence because you know what could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I had a ton of confidence, no experience. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I would just get bored. But then when I started my own company eight years ago, I couldn't quit me. Like there was no like, okay, I'm in a corner, jump to something else, jump to something else. I had to really focus and kind of be deliberate and build some systems versus just jump, jump, jump. Hmm. All right, let's go back to your new book, Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. In your thinking mind, um, how much, what, what role does anxiety play in it? Well, I mean, I think I think it's one of the manifestations of overthinking. Um, I don't think everyone who overthinks is anxious. I don't. I don't think um, that was one of the things we talked about in the book. Is that it's not a personality trait. It's mm -hmm. not like a certain type of person does it and other people don't. Um, I think it can turn. Um, I think it can turn into anxiety, um, especially if you don't. Like what I say is pull the thread. What's the thought behind the thought? Like right. thoughts travel in bunches. Um, so often if you'll say, well, this is what I'm frustrated by. Like an example would be somebody says, I hate my coworker. They're, they're unqualified. They're unqualified. They get all these opportunities. And if you'll sit with them though, and kind of pull the thread often, they'll, it'll be that the person is, is really bold or they're really confident in meetings or they're really, they volunteer for stuff. And the person who's frustrated wants to be braver. And hmm. so a good version of that is I get to be brave. Like, or, you know, I want to be brave too, um, versus going, um, 
Boris is unqualified or Mark is unqualified. So if I can get them to pull the thread, um, it's often there's a handful of thoughts that are kind of driving all these things. And then once you know that, you can, like I said, retire it. You can the three the three things I talk about are retiring your broken ones, replacing them with new ones, and then repeating the new ones so often they become as automatic as the old ones. Mm. So I agree. Um, but I do think that there have to be some really intentional practices because thoughts are incredibly powerful. So powerful that, that one evolutionary psychologist I know would say that you don't have thoughts, your thoughts think you. Because mm. your brain secretes thoughts. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, like a like like your thyroid yeah. you know it just yeah. secretes thoughts yeah. you like can't, a sweat gland yeah it's just yeah. they're just they're just going yeah. yeah and some of them you know go faster than you can watch them right so you know for me and we talk a lot about this we've done a podcast on it um it requires powers of self-observation well so let me give you one power of self-observation okay. like a simple trick people can do it takes 30 seconds so people say, well, how do I know if I have broken soundtracks that I need to retire? Um, and so I always say, all you have to do is write down a desire. Write down something you want to do. I want to move to Nashville. I want to have a family. I want to ask that girl out. I want to paint, whatever. Write down a desire and then listen to your first thoughts. Because every reaction is an education. So one way to identify a broken soundtrack is I want to do this thing. And then if the first 10 things you say to yourself are why you're not qualified for that, why you're not skilled for that, why you're in the wrong city for that, then maybe there's something you should pause on and deal with that. And I also say, don't ask all your thoughts the true, helpful, kind question. Who has time for that? It's 60,000 thoughts. Um, but it's the ones that are, that are the loudest, the mm -hmm. ones that are neon. And it also does take time. Like what I've learned is there's sometimes in life where a single thought, something you know, can change an entire situation almost instantly. So an example would be if you have a difficult coworker and you just don't get along, they're so demanding, they're terrible, and you find out his wife has cancer, changes everything. Yes. Knowing that information changes everything. There's other times though, something's been in place for a decade. And what that was what was interesting about the book, 48 hours after it came out, people said, I've already read it, I've already listened to it three times, and my new soundtrack isn't sticking. And I'll, I'd say, well, how long did you listen to the old one? They'd say 10 years. And I'd say, well, you gave the, the problem 10 years to develop and the solution 10 days. And so that's why the, the repetition is so important. That's why, like one of the things in the book, we talk about symbols, that symbols have power. And the best brands in the world have known that forever. Like Yeti um, is a symbol. Like people put stickers on their cars to let you know how they refrigerate things. Right. Nobody did that in the 90s. Nobody right. was like, igloo. Right. I'm an igloo guy. If you're ever curious about how I keep stuff cold, <laughs> I got I'm a Coleman. Igloo. I'm a Coleman I'm guy. I'm a Coleman guy. <laughs> and so like the symbol though, I always say like you're up against a really strong soundtrack. It's good to tie it to a symbol. Like in the way mm. you do a symbol, it's really simple. It has to be personal to you. It has to be visible and it has to be simple. And one of my favorite examples is the um, Lance Armstrong bracelet. The reason the Livestrong uh, bracelet worked is, one, it was personal. No one ever said, uh, I just hate cancer, the disease. I don't like diseases. I have an eczema necklace. I wear, <laughs> I wear like disease jewelry. Nobody said that. It always was personal. It said, my uncle died from cancer. My mom. The second thing was it was visible. Nike could have made it skin tone. They could have made it gray. They didn't. They made it bright yellow. And the third was it was simple to use. The symbol always has to be simple. Nobody's confused by a bracelet. Nobody's like, oh, you put the arm part into the whole part. And so I'll tell people, okay, if you've got a symbol, like one for me, 
It was two weeks before the book came out. You've released books. Like that's a crazy mental space. We are going to Jackson Hole, Wyoming with my family. And I knew that I had evidence from my past that I could be physically present and mentally or emotionally absent for moments. Oh yeah. And I didn't want that to happen. So I wrote a soundtrack down that said, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Thought that, worked on that. And then when I got to Jackson Hole, they had pine cones all over the street and they look different from the ones I have at home. And I was present enough to notice a detail like a, that pine cone is different from our pine cones. And I took it with me and it sits on my desk right now because I'm, there's going to be other moments where I'm going to be tempted to miss something. Right. And that symbol helps. So a lot of the times... I, it's kind of like writing. I never sit down with a blank piece of paper. I always bring ideas with me. I tell people all the time, I don't believe in writer's block. I believe in idea bankruptcy. Like if you are collecting and curating ideas, when you sit down with a blank piece of paper, they can't wait to get out there. Is it easy? Of course not. But it's the same way I'd never tell somebody, just change a thought like a light bulb and then then you're done. Like it's a process. It can be, it can take a lot of time. It can take a lot of activities. It can take symbols, um, but it's worth it. And and when you start to notice that you're thinking differently, you want to do it more. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of the things that, that fascinates me here is one of the practices that has made an enormous difference in my life is a daily practice of mindfulness meditation mm -hmm. i sit for 20 minutes twice a day on a cushion twice a day twice a day okay yeah early morning late afternoon mm -hmm. um sometimes i miss that late afternoon because yeah. something comes up but sure. generally speaking twice a day and what it has done is it's decluttered my mind mm -hmm. and when you do a regular meditation practice you become intimately aware of what your thought stream is yeah and you'll see patterns. And so one of the things I do when I'm in meditation, you know, I just focus on my breath. It's very, very simple, mm -hmm. right? Try to quiet the mind. Of course, the mind is secreting thoughts. They're not your enemy. Yeah. You just don't want to grab them mm -hmm. and get, you just want, every time you get distracted and you get lost into a thought story, you just bring back yep. your attention to the present moment, right? Mm -hmm. right. So what I, what I have learned is, is we do this thing called noting, right? Mm -hmm. So if, my thought goes to what am I going to do later today? I go, I just look at the thought and I go planning. Mm -hmm. Or if, if, uh, uh, if something comes up yeah. about, you know, I had an argument with somebody, I'll go resentment. Mm -hmm. Cause sometimes the feeling comes up with it. Yeah. Right. Or if another thought comes up like, um, you know, geez, 20 years ago I was a knucklehead and I mm -hmm. didn't regret. And I just, I don't, I don't judge it. I don't evaluate it. I don't try to fix it. I don't try to do anything. I just note it. And I just start to notice how many times my thoughts migrate, my attention migrates towards certain thoughts, right? Now, the benefit of the beauty of it is, is that that builds up the power of self-observation. Because as my mind slows all day long as a result, it does all day long. It's just not slows, it's calmer. Mm -hmm. And it, what it's given me is the ability to observe my thoughts in real time. And when I see them, I don't think of them as thoughts as much as I think about them as stories. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, my brain has now launched a story. It's the I'm too old story yeah. or I'm the too young story, right? Because to me, the narrative piece is grippier for me. You know what I mean? It's like the thought is a story. Now, that story can be fictional, but until you challenge it, it's yeah. nonfiction. Well, it's going to tell you it's true. Yes. You're be like, this is absolutely. Yeah. So what I oftentimes find myself doing is just saying, okay, is this story true? Mm -hmm. Right. Because I'm locked inside of a narrative right now yeah. about who I am and and my perspective on how the world works. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, let's face it. 
some of our greatest authors didn't write their greatest books until they were in their 60s, right? So that's... John Maxwell did his first nonfiction at like 44, 45. Yeah. So there you go, right? Those are stories. They're, they're self-limiting, self-defeating stories mm -hmm. that we get locked into, which is part of the reason I love this book, Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking, because I do think in our contemporary age with its distractibility and, it, and, and just the way that our, our brain is physically mm -hmm. wired, mm -hmm. uh, overthinking, man, is... Well, but think about this too. The, and we don't, we don't give this enough conversation. The, most of this stuff is new as far as the phone. Like it's not 100 mm -hmm. years old and we now know how to deal with it. We're the pioneers. Like people 50 years from now will go back and go, how did they first even deal with all that amount of information that they got? Right. I mean, I, you know, for me, it just hit me the other day that other than my phone app and other than maybe the calculator, every other app on my phone is selling me something. I decided to carry around the world's largest infomercial in my pocket. Mm -hmm. Like Instagram has 10,000 employees and their job is distract Ian. Like that's their job. Like whether a secretary, whether a developer, like that's their job is to go, we want more of his attention, more of his time, which turns into more revenue. So I always try to give people the bent, like I tell them this is challenging because it should be challenging. In the 1980s, you didn't have whole companies that were billion dollar companies in the distraction business. You had newspapers, you certainly had TV and right. all that, but we have so much more of that. I don't think we've developed as many tools for that as, as um, things that are stealing it. Like we haven't scaled our tools for focus or meditation or whatever with the same amount of eagerness as we have our tools for distraction. And that's why to me it's challenging. Yeah. That's Man, good. fantastic. Yeah. I love this. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. I know, Honestly, man. Yeah. And I love the metaphor of soundtracks because mm -hmm. we all have favorite right. soundtracks in our brains. Yep. Right. Well, I picked that because a soundtrack in a movie often changes the whole moment without you even noticing. Mm -hmm. Your whole body changes. I mean, there's studies about the just hearing the sound of the Jaws soundtrack changes, oh, gives yeah. you a physical change. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it was one that I thought, okay, this is, this is a handle. I, I consider my job to be a handle maker. We have enough ideas in the world. We don't have enough handles on them to pick them up and take them into our lives. And mm. so I love mm. to put handles on ideas. And I felt like, okay, soundtracks is a handle I think some people can pick up. Yeah. Mm. Well, plus soundtracks and music are so sticky. We live in Nashville. Somebody the other day said to me, why, why the, the music theme? And I was like, well, I do live, we live in Nashville. <laughs> we got a little bit of that. We got a little. Wow, man. Fantastic. This is John Acuff, author of Soundtracks, A Surprising Solution to Overthinking. And I have you on my podcast, which is fun. That was a ball. That was a blast. I have a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal, and I got to interview you about the goals you're working on and, and this next chapter of your life and what you've learned. And so that was really fun for me, too. Was it coherent? Totally. Once we got through the technology issues, I don't know if you remember that we had a bunch of tech issues, and I don't. Oh, right. I don't have an amazing producer. Like I, have, <laughs> I don't have a single bearded person in my office. Redemption. Um, yeah. There you go. There you go. Full circle. <laughs> Full circle. There you go. John, what are your Instagram handles or, or all of your social stuff that people need to it's know? It's at John Acuff, J O N A C U F F. Um, uh, for Instagram, Twitter is the same. Um, Acuff.me is my website. If you're like, ah, I'd like to read the first chapter of the book, uh, soundtracksbook.com. There's a video version, soundtrackscourse.com. And yeah, the, the podcast is all it takes is a goal. And if you're going to listen to one episode, 
Um, there's a woman named Colleen Berry who I interviewed who was a documentary filmmaker, mm. lost her job during the dot-com bust a few years ago, had to take four other jobs to survive, and one of them was as a receptionist. And she said, I'm going to change my soundtracks, change my mindset, and now she's the CEO of that company. Wow. And so it's a really fun receptionist-to-CEO story. Wow. And I, you, you know it's a good episode when you're taking notes for your own life. It's wow. not for a question. It's right. going, oh, I got to – and Colleen Berry on All It Takes is a Goal is a great start. Right. That's powerful. You know, when I was on John's show, he actually got up and walked away, made a Keurig coffee, and yeah. then came back. There were no, there was no note taking. I just <laughs> said, I said, Ian, tell me about the Enneagram. And then he talked for 92 minutes. <laughs> I didn't say a single word. I didn't, I kept trying to throw in words. And he was like, just let me go, dude. Yeah. Um, I'm Ian. Yeah. You know, I have three names. I thought it was. Yeah, three thought, names. <laughs> Oh, what are, you, what are you rolling around with, John Acuff, too? Yeah. No, actually, the name of the show he's on is All It Takes is a Fool. Oh. And they had me on yeah. as the first episode. I don't episode. tell my name first. I say it's about experts. And yeah. you're an expert. Yeah. Exactly. So funny. But, John, we want to have you back on because I'm, I'm really – I love this theme of overthinking. And, and, and Anthony's heard me talk about it a lot, you know, oh, yeah. about the thinking mind and about – and I'm going to turn you on to some books by, by some evolutionary psychologists who talk about thinking. I'd love that. And about negative biases. Because, you know, there was a time when some thoughts were really helpful. Mm -hmm. Like, mm. I'm going to, you know, being paranoid was really good when yeah. you were on the Serengeti. <laughs> exactly, because there was a saber-toothed tiger. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But now in our day and age, we don't have to worry that much about it. Mm -mm. Right. And yet we continue to do it because our brain has not caught up to modern circumstance. Well, and that and modern circumstance knows that. So that's why mm -hmm. a news headline is written a certain exactly. way. I, right. I was a journalism major. Like I get it. And so Which, like I had to delete Twitter from my phone last year and I still use it on my computer, but I just couldn't have that much anger in my pocket. So right. I had to say that's a boundary for me. Holy crap. Uh, and it plays to what you said earlier about we haven't caught up to the fact that we have this device in our pockets, yeah. right? Well, and the yeah. other thing is our brain is not designed no. to read all that information. Right. It just, it can't. No. And when I was a kid, you got the, well, you know, you, you might get the, the New York Times once a week, yeah. right? And you didn't know everything that was happening in Bhutan because right. it did not make the New York Times, right? right? But now, yeah. because of the 24-hour news cycle, they gotta, they're, they're running out of stories, right? So they're, they're going to Mongolia I to was find never stuff. mad at a governor of another state in the 1990s. Like, right. I didn't even know him. Right. Like I didn't even like right. if they were doing something terrible to people in Oregon, I had no idea. Right. And now I know like there's certain governors you're right. like, man, that guy, that lady, right. you're like, you don't even live in that state. Right. So you know it's so interesting we were talking about this because I the other day, uh, I decided I was gonna write down everything that makes me miserable. Mm. Okay? I'm so fine. I'm just gonna write down because yeah. I found myself my brain overthinking, yeah. overthinking negative things. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this crap's got to stop. I, I'm just going to write down, because here's what I said to myself. And it, I got such a relief when I, I actually said it aloud. I just said, I'm miserable. I am just admitting it. I just yeah. admitted it. You yeah. know yeah. what? Naming I'm, it. Yeah, I'm just good. pretty, I'm a pretty miserable person mm -hmm. inside. Mm -hmm. And you know, that wasn't an easy thing to say, but the moment I said it, I was like, okay, well now I can do something about this. Yeah. He's like, I just How long said was the list? It was pretty long. <laughs> no, but it was things like the news makes me miserable. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, drinking too much coffee yeah. makes me miserable, and yet I keep doing it. Yeah. Right? It's like it makes me jangly and crazy. Oh, there's like me looking at certain social media accounts make me miserable. Mm -hmm. and yes. Then, and my thumb is like, but we're going to go there right. real so, fast. Right. So 
social media can make me miserable, mm. right? Um, I, you know, I, I wrote down this whole list of mm -hmm. things, right? And um, I just made some changes. And one of them was, I cannot watch the news. Mm -hmm. I cannot look at the news every day. I am going to assume that if something really important happens, I need to know about, someone will mention it to me. Well, that's the whole lie of being informed. Mm -hmm. like, like, what are you doing with, like, you didn't, other than receiving misery, you didn't change your day no. with that information. No. Like for me, that was during the the middle of the pandemic. There was a news program I was watching. They had a rolling death ticker like a slot machine. That wasn't help. Right. And then I'd go, I wonder why I'm so like depressed and like, huh, it's weird. I wonder if there's a connection. Like, and I it, I wasn't doing anything with the information. And so I I just feel like we're meant to live locally. And there's some global things that mm -hmm. we're that we're not like comfortable with, and we don't know how to live with. And so I love that you made a list of that. I think that's I think that's great. Yeah, I just I I, I guess it was about fifteen or fifteen. That's pretty good. On it. I mean, I think I that it feels you know? like it could be a hundred some days. Right. Well, then I had to make some changes. Yeah. Like, so I decided I was going to run in the mornings. Yeah. I don't like running in the mornings, but it's like if I don't, I'm going to get up. I'm going to read the paper. I'm going to or start scrolling. What don't you through. like about running in the mornings? My body is sort of like this hurts. Yeah, like what but are we doing? Late afternoon, three thirty, four o'clock. Yeah. My brain is, my body's like, let's go. Yeah. And part yeah. of the, part of it used to be because I had five or six cups of coffee, like you know, oh, running yeah. the ship. You know, yeah, exactly. and it's like, okay, I'm gonna go out and run six minute yeah. miles. You know, yeah. but you know, so I do get up in the morning, I run ten. That's so funny. <laughs> ten minute miles. You know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, John soundtracks the surprising solution to overthinking. Everybody get on Amazon, go to local booksellers and check out this wonderful book about, I really, it sounds like taking control of your mindscape. Yeah. You know? It's 100% what it's about. Yeah. The last thing I'd say, because it was an interesting, it relates to your, you and the news. One of the studies we put in there was from NYU. Um, Daniel Kahneman wrote about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he, uh, they brought two groups of college students in and said, we want you to make sentences out of these word banks. And so they gave him some words and said, make sentences. First group, normal words. Second group, uh, there were words in there hidden about being old. Words like Florida and retired and slow. And they said, okay, the second part is walk down the hall and take the second part of the test. But that's where they secretly were testing them. They tested how long it took each group to walk down the hall. And the students who had been exposed to the old words physically walked slower. Mm. Just reading words about old age changed their physical actions. And they've reversed the study yes. multiple times. So yeah, watching the news, you might go, ah, you're missing out. You're like, no, that's having a physical impact on oh, you. Oh no, it does. Um, your friends have a physical impact on you, your conversations. And so I think it's awesome when people can go, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some of this stuff on a diet, see what happens. Oh, it's made a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, like, it's just a huge difference. Anthony. Yes. Great episode, huh? Yeah, this is good, man. Can't wait for our people to hear it. Is there like a best of you could already get me scheduled for well, or something? Uh, but you won't be it because you didn't actually say I was the best person on your show. I mean, so that I'm was gonna... coming later. We were still riffing on Anthony, I felt like. But I will say you were the best person on my show to make it's me a, feel It's bad. a collection. It's not just one person. It's like you have a highlight reel. I've seen people do that. That seems like a thing podcast. Are you saying do. that I'm on the highlight reel? Yeah, totally. Yeah, right. I've only done 35 episodes. You can't. <laughs> that's like when a band releases a Christmas album, their second album. I got to earn a highlight reel, dude. <laughs> that's hilarious. Hey, Typology Tribe, remember these words. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time.